Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Sick is an honest, beautifully rendered memoir of chronic illness, misdiagnosis, addiction, and the myth of fully, a full recovery that details Porachista's struggles with late-stage Lyme disease. Porachista Kakpour's debut, Suns and Other Flammable Objects, was named a New York Times Editor's Choice. Her second novel, The Last Illusion, was the 2014 Best Book of the Year, according to NPR, Kirkus Reviews, BuzzFeed, and many more. Among her fellowships is a National Endowment for the Arts Award, and her nonfiction has appeared in many sections of the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, Elle, Slate, Salon, and Book Forum, among many others. Currently, she is guest faculty at VCFA and Stone Coast's MFA programs, as well as contributing editor at the Evergreen Review and The Offing. Mira Gonzalez is a writer and illustrator from Los Angeles, California. She is the author of two books and the owner of two dogs. She tweets at Mira Gons. We're delighted to have Porachista Kakpur and Mira Gonzalez with us this evening. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. I was like, she's parking. She's coming. <laughs> it was like actually perfectly timed. Parking sucks around here. It's the worst. Yeah, I forgot. I mean, I just get driven around now, so I don't even have to. I mean, I can't drive anymore, so I get to not worry about that, but feel it secondhand. So. Yeah. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah, yeah I like thank your you glasses. For doing this. I like yours. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so I guess I should, should I just like, read it for is that what you want me to do and then you're talking yeah why don't you about. read for why don't you read for a few minutes I'll go to the bathroom come back and okay. ask you questions <laughs> <Yeah>. great <laughs> sounds good everybody I love this because that's usually like me I've gotten to a weird point in my like writing like life whatever you want to call it um where I'm like really relaxed at readings and I actually did a reading a few months ago where I almost fell asleep while I was giving it and I don't know what that's about I used to be very nervous and now I'm just I'm like super slow I mean it's Lyme disease maybe that's probably it but I just don't feel like compelled to but I know it's a waste of your time so I'm sorry that we're starting late I'm sorry that but so I'm gonna try to stay focused um Anyways, I'm going to read a couple sections of this. Um, the touring here has kind of started, and we don't even know how long it's going to go because I'm in pretty bad shape. The, the final tagline of where I work and where I live is, like, like, not relevant because I don't live anywhere right now and I don't work anywhere. So a lot of what's happening in this book, unfortunately, is now happening to me again where I've had to leave an apartment that had a lot of mold in it an apartment that had lead and mold and asbestos and god knows what and so i'm now like on top of being an iranian refugee a new york refugee <laughs> and maybe a california refugee i literally have no place to live and have a few clothes and like you know so it's kind of a very surreal thing this is not a publicity stunt and not where i thought i would be but as many of my friends in the room can tell you i've been in pretty hellish shape um, i was just in new york a couple days ago so 
all of this is to say I don't take it for granted, and I thank you guys for coming in to, um, I've been terrible about promoting things, but I'm still like sort of shocked when so many great crowds are coming for this, so thank you. It's, um, it's really heartening. Um, it was not an easy book to write, but the um, readings and the experience of meeting people after have been actually the best in the world, so um, something good has come out of writing nonfiction, <laughs> which I've been cursing now for a while. It's not easy. So I'm going to read um, a couple sections, um, and I'm going to read like sort of in the middle. This book has, you know, somewhat linear chapters that kind of take place from like my li my early childhood all the way to now basically um, it's you know I always teach students and memoirs have very narrow scopes but in this case it's almost not a biography because I don't know when I got Lyme and so there's a, or, or the host of other chronic illnesses that become a part of it um, and then also there's a whole addiction through Lyme too uh, because in the period where I was undiagnosed and then misdiagnosed I also became addicted to benzodiazepines and a few other drugs earlier on too um, but you know we'll see so this this little like interlude section there's these little sections in between that become like little mini essays in a way um, this one's called on place in telling the story it occurred to me that it wasn't character or plot or even theme that was the ruling principle of its composition but something far less likely setting I wondered why setting would feel so foreign to me when location changes have been more than simple set switches for me. One could imagine the variations in physical locations are what in some ways got me to illness and Lyme disease in the first place. It wasn't Iran, but then it wasn't California. Was it New York? Was it Pennsylvania? Was it where? I would be destined never to find the bite on the location of my body, just as I'd be destined never to know the location I was in when bit by the tick. The question of where would be the most mysterious of all. In recent years, I've had many discussions with various doctors about Lyme and have seen how their opinions and protocols would shift. Usually, they would land on this idea. The truth is, we know very little about this illness. It would drive me crazy as if it were all guesswork, and I've found that I've never completely abandoned doubting it. But there's something I've held on to that I've heard from more than one doctor, a link between chronic illness and PTSD. If post-traumatic stress disorder can be defined as, quote, a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it, symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event, according to the Mayo Clinic, then it makes sense that it can trigger a relapse or resurfacing of some disability or illness. The disability or illness itself could cause the PTSD, and the experience of going for years undiagnosed and then misdiagnosed, as many like myself do, can cause considerable trauma, to put it mildly. It is no coincidence that doctors and patients in the entire Lyme community report, anecdotally of course, as there is still a frustrating scarcity of good data on anything Lyme related, that women suffer more, suffer the most from Lyme. They tend to advance into chronic and late stage forms of the illness most because it's often checked for last, as doctors often treat them as psychiatric cases first. The nebulous symptoms plus the fracturing of articulacy and cognitive fog can cause any Lyme patient to simply appear mentally ill and mentally ill only. This is why we hear that young women, again anecdotally, are dying of Lyme the fastest. This is also why we hear that chronic illness is a woman's burden. Women simply aren't allowed to be physically sick until they are mentally sick too, and then it is by some miracle or accident that the two can be separated for proper diagnosis. 
In the end, every Lyme patient has some psychiatric diagnosis too, if anything, because of the hell it takes to get to a diagnosis. My PTSD was always tied to setting with my family leaving Iran at war and revolution and coming to America as, a for as foreigner refugees on political asylum. There was never a home for me as a human in the world, which is why moving around was almost always easy. Was almost easy. There was never a home for me outside as there was never a home for me inside. My own, body, my own body didn't feel like my own. There was never a context in which I got to know it, to be at peace with it. Only recently do I wonder if it has to do with being considered foreign, or an alien, or outsider, or any host of other less kind terms for us. How could I recognize myself if no one else could? Los Angeles and New York proved to be homes of sorts after Iran. Suburban Los Angeles, where I was raised and grew up, and New York City, where I came to adulthood and found my career. But even there, I would lose myself at times, which made, me trying, which made trying to pin down the body and its conditions all the more impossible. My Lyme relapses almost always coincide with global turmoil. It was no wonder for me that I would become sick after some external political stressor, like the Paris attacks, or the election of Donald Trump, and its endless, horrific aftermath of mainstream bigotry. When the Muslim ban became a constant on the news in 2017, when I found my home country rather unsurprisingly on the list of six countries that have been designated problems according to this administration, I immediately had an acute, acute plunge in health. I've been back on antibiotics since and now can't imagine being off them. Not as long as Iran is in the news like this. Not as long as all the trauma of my childhood comes back to me in waves these days. It's a return to hearing, go back to your country regularly, especially online, and it feels like the most familiar nightmare. When I feel myself getting sicker as a result of the news, a part of me panics. Is it just psychological? Was it just PTSD all along? Were some of the early doctors right, the ones who thought I was just crazy? How could my body erupt in a chaos of spirochetes each time my mind and body suffers? How does that work? May we continue to find evidence of the mind and body connection. It has taken many years to, to see my own shell, this very body, as a home of sorts. I can report that even now I struggle with this concept, that even as I type these words, something feels outside of myself. I sometimes wonder if I would have been less sick if I had a home. Um, I'm just going to read um, one other little section. Maybe I find it. It's on like torn jet blue like boarding passes, which says everything <laughs> about my life right now. I basically live in airplanes. Um, there's a section I wanted to read to you. There's sort of funny section. That's kind of a heavy section. There's sort of funny moments in this book. I mean, they're funny to me now, thank goodness, but we're not at the time. We're like out of desperation. I did things like I joined a Scientology front by accident. This is, L this is LA, so I'm sorry if there's Scientologists in the crowd, but you're not for me. And I accidentally joined you and you were scary, as they say you are. And I didn't know, and I literally had to be like, are you guys Scientologists? You know, they were trying to get me off psychiatric meds in this, like, very violent, but, like, somehow, like, consoling way. And I spent all this money because I was desperate to get off benzos, and I had to do all these weekly calls with this constellation of doctors around the country, and, and they kept telling me I was a huge VIP sort of writer, so... <laughs> Okay, um, but I still get cards from them all the time, and the and it's that's it's it's always as they say they are. Um, 
so I'll read this one section, um, which is like somewhat funny, but maybe not. Um, this is, yeah, these, these doctors, all the people I name in this book, a lot of them are very much in operation now. And that was like, a, a, you know, a risk that you take when you write nonfiction. But I just decided that like, I wasn't going to protect meds and I wasn't going to protect people who harmed me. They have different names, you know, but I almost wish that I almost wish they didn't <laughs> because these people are anyways, here's a little section. This is um, me in the summer of uh, 2012. I'd had a very bad health episode in 2006. My second really bad one was in 2012. And that was when I basically got my definitive Igenix tests. Like, they came back and said I definitely had Lyme. And Igenix is the premier, like, lab in the country. There's some controversy about it. But basically, if you have Igenix positive, they think you have Lyme. They're pretty sure about that. Um, and I have CDC level Lyme, too, on top of that. So mine is not doubted, really. So um, this, was, uh, this was in the summer where I was in really, really bad shape. And I was trying my best. And, like, here my... Anyways, you'll see. When I got back to LA, I confronted the fact that my work life seemed to be out of the picture. I was not ready for the madness of the world, and it was certainly not ready for me. I committed myself to slowing down again, and I realized that meant more waiting. The Lyme test results were still not in for my genics yet, so to pass the time, I let my mother coerce me into going to the gym with her. I was horribly skinny, but she'd always been a gym member, and she thought it would help my moods. We walked into her grim LA fitness branch in Glendale, which was full of only meat-headed men. Sorry, it was true. And they tried to convince me to be a member. But Josh, this one personal trainer, managed to connect with me. He told me a story that he too was a pillhead and turned his life around after losing all his money in his job. The details all seemed generic to me, an after-school special, the usual stuff, but somehow it soothed me at that point to hear anything near my own demons. The gym will help, but more than the gym, I will help. I'm going to be there for you all the way. Don't you forget it, sister. He had that golden smile, that all-American confidence that would sell you anything. I recognized this. So many men had tried to fix me. So many men were convinced they could help. What, what, what was one more? And like so many others, he recommended another man who could supposedly heal me. During one of our sessions, he mentioned a Dr. Wayne in Malibu who had saved him, a healer whom he'd be happy to pass on to me. I'm not that guy, I'm not a crystals guy, but this guy did it for me, Josh kept insisting. After training with Josh a couple days a week for some weeks with few results, I asked him for Dr. Wayne's information. You're welcome, he slapped me hard in the back as I walked out of the session. Dr. Wayne's info scribbled on the corner of an Us Weekly page, the numbers across a starlet's tan bare shoulder. I called, they could see me immediately. How does it work? How much and what do you do, I asked. We prefer that you come here and we can discuss it all, a woman with a flat, affectless voice uttered, as if it were scripted. And what, what did I do but agree? I had all the time in the world at rock bottom. It turned out to be another beachfront office, not from far from my Malibu Lyme doctor, Dr. Mills. And it also turned out that they were surfing buddies. It's very, very California. But this place was not a relaxed surfer den. Dr. Wayne's products were advertised all over the office with big posters that boasted makeshift scientific charts. He had an overly made-up Russian receptionist who looked like a failed model, and her only mode seemed to be dismissive. 
He himself looked like a cult leader with his crisp black turtleneck and bald head, and he had a staff of cult followers who had titles like magical cranial therapist and neuropathic healer, but who only offered very liberal takes on those things. Dr. Wayne ran some tests and applied some remedies, electrodermal biofeedback machines, muscle exams, blood chemistry evaluations, computer laser analysis, advanced light therapy, diagnostics, electrical stimulation, cold laser, traction body work, and advanced chiropractics. He did it all very gruffly and very confidently in the end said I may have Lyme, but my real problem was brain damage from my two car accidents and drugs. Especially heroin, he said, staring me right in the eye. I told him I'd never done heroin. You might think you never have, he said unfazed, but you have. I felt frustrated. How is that possible? Have you done drugs? He asked. I nodded slowly. I could see where he was going. Ecstasy, he asked. I nodded. Immediately I was bombarded with flashbacks to the 90s at Sarah Lawrence and the warehouse parties and the raves and clubs and the jokes about whether you'd have your E cut with speed or dope. He nodded back, a bit pleased with himself. Well, it's often cut with heroin, don't you know that? The stuff was lodged in the spine, he told me. It's all over your tests. He said he and his staff could help me, but I needed to be dedicated. Can you be? I nodded eagerly. I'm willing to try anything to get better, I said, my voice cracking through the words that I, was meant, that I meant with all my heart. He led me to his remedy store. Then he passed me bottles, jars, tinctures, tubes, balms, sprays, oils, crystals, supplements, you name it. He sold me hundreds of dollars worth. And he even gave me the number of a young Iranian girl whose life he had saved. And she actually called me gushing, sounding like an infomercial. The man saved my life, I tell you. I bought it only because I had no other choice. He became another of my many doctors. Each time I went there, I saw him as well as his staff, a circuit of odd folks. One woman gave me cranial therapy with a laser, which was supposed to zap the brain damage out. Another did a violent style of chiropractic work. He was the fourth chiropractor I went to that summer. that made me leap out of the chair, my spine on fire, but apparently it was nuking the residual drugs of my past. And then I had these sessions with Dr. Wayne where he would tell me everything from Santa Fe is full of sick people to kale will make you sick to In-N-Out is the best food. <laughs> that is great in a way. Like I love that. Um, over and over he dissuaded me from the Lyme investigation path. Don't go there. People spend their entire lives stuck in that one. And it's the, only, it's the one thing he said that felt completely true to me. You need to stay here in L.A. to get well. I'd nod. I'd go home. I'd come back. And it was some time around then that I realized that actually the key to me getting better was to get out of L.A. <laughs> I say as we're in L.A. Um, so I'll, maybe I'll stop there. Mira, do you? Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I went to the bathroom. I'm good. Good. Thanks for letting me do that. Thank you for being um, here. Well, thank you for being here. That was a wonderful reading. Good job. Thank you. Um, thank you. So, I have a couple questions. Um, your agent, I believe, sent me your book just a few days ago, so admittedly, I'm only about three-fourths of the way through it. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have read most yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's wonderful. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start by asking what... You go over a lot of what your day-to-day life has looked like in the past, um, but obviously it's the kind of sickness that changes on a day-to-day basis. Um, I wonder what do your days look like 
now? What is what do you do when you wake up? What are your your routines? Like, take us through it. It's really funny because, like, I love that question. I mean, just like if you'd asked me that question before December, um, for like that past year, I would have looked like many of yours, maybe, right? Get up, you shower, you eat something, you you know, hug your loved one, whatever, and go to work. Um, it's not currently that. It's actually a lot like this book in a way. I wake up in a state of like horror often. Um, I am like either totally sleepless or having very, very poor quality sleep. Um, now I'm taking like a sleep medication. Actually, this book I was like trying to stay away from. <laughs> so I'm on that. I, I had to do sleep. it. It's important. Yeah, I mean, because like some of those herbal things like didn't work for me at all. And I was stubbornly trying to do that. And I was like, no, I don't want to take the strong stuff. And now I'm on the strong stuff. Um, so, but, but it really is disorienting for me. And I have t- terribly low blood pressure. And that drug makes your blood pressure even lower. I'm away from my dog right now. You know, it's with my parents' house. That's always hard. Yeah, it's awful. So, and I'm like living in random places at random times. So it's just like a lot of like like stumbling around, like praying, trying to meditate. Mm -hmm. My brain is scrambled. Then like worrying about what food will go down because I've always like I'm back to having like swallowing problems. And was so was there was there an event that um, because you were saying that earlier like a a year ago or something like that it was not quite so bad. Was there like an event that happened where it sort of went downhill or was it a slow? Yeah, no, roll out. I, I go into relapse and remission a lot, and you know when I mean there I'd been under a lot of stress. Like I said, in this one section with like the the election and all that, I've been sort of hyper stressed since then. But it was around January that my health really started to disintegrate, and I think that was because of some sort of mold exposure. Because mm. that was, and we, we don't know where that specific mold exposure was. But then my parents have just recently been very slow to find out that they actually have mold in their space. And then my apartment in Harlem, which is like this happy haven in this book in a way, um, that there was mold there too. And, and then they did this in March. They did this crazy demolition that was illegal above and next door to me. They're trying to turn over properties. I mean, this is like the worst. So many bad parts of the gentrification story, but the one where people get sick, no one ever talks about. Yeah. Everyone in my building was sick. Oh, terrible. And so, yeah, it was like all asbestos and lead and like God knows what, because it's a 140-year-old building, and this was the first time. I mean, these are so many black families have lived there their whole lives. Right. And people were born there, and this is the first time they're like getting rid of it. So oh. that, and then I was doing that thing for a second. Luckily, I didn't do it too long, where I was like, I'm going to stay with my New York apartment, you know, because it's rent stay stabilized and mm-hmm. you can't give up on your New York apartment and and like when my dog like seemed sick I was like oh my god I was like waking up from a bad dream and I was like wait a sec I'm sleeping every other night I'm not eating anything I'm saying things like it's just fine to be dead like literally like I was just like I will just die here it's okay I mean that's amazing that you were having symptoms so bad that you were just like resigning to death but it took your dog being sick for you to be like I better do something about this yeah, exactly I mean somehow I was like walking him and feeding him but then I just like looked at him one day and the whites of his eyes were getting red and I hadn't looked in a mirror in a really long time and I just was like oh my god wait a sec what's happening and then I just decided to reach out to friends who were like wait this is not okay and and was this also happening like around the time of the election so it was like compounding with that yeah I mean the waves of horror you know this was just like last March I mean April I left New York I bought a ticket that morning to like fly to which by the way you can like last minute jump blue tickets you can actually find really cheap flights yeah that's actually a a good tip yeah there's (laughs) or like American Airlines no one wants to fly anymore like they're also really cheap last minute so or like the airline where you like 
like get to just pick your own seat and whoever's there first gets it, yeah, like yeah. Southwest or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so I just like like left, and I was like, I'm gonna like die if I don't take this seriously. So mm. yeah, um, I came to LA. And then I got really sick again at my parents' house. And I was like, oh, that's definitely a problem. And then I went and stayed in San Francisco with a good friend of mine who has a guest room there. But I think there might have been mold in her space, too. Everyone, everybody, I went to all these doctors in San Francisco. And everyone was having mold illness there. And then Lyme, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, like, so much illness there. Um, yeah. I mean, that brings me to another question that I have, which is based on, like, your social media and stuff like that, I see that you're traveling a lot. And, like... Personally, traveling is like the worst, like most exhausting. Like, like I get sick every time I travel, pretty much. So, like for someone with a chronic illness, it's probably a lot worse even than that. And I wonder, was the is the reason that you travel because you made a conscious choice? Like, even though I'm sick, I'm going to continue doing this because I love it. Or is it more of a necessity just to see the doctors that you need to yeah. see and stuff like that? It's funny. Like, people with chronic illness have to travel really far to see doctors. And, like, for me, it's often been, like, when does a doctor have an appointment? So my main doctor is in New Mexico and Santa Fe. And so, like... You know, they'd some, suddenly have, like, an opening, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to just, like, book the flight and go now, which would be, like, cheaper than, like, spending, like, weeks, like, buying random supplements online, you know, th- then and just guessing, and then being in ERs all the time, which was mm-hmm. happening to me a lot this right. year. a lot of ERs. So expensive. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny, like, when I was younger, it actually made me sicker flying, and I've started to actually... I started feeling good in the air. I also used to have a debilitating fear of flying because I was in an emergency landing mm-hmm. and then saw 9-11 and all that. But I actually now find airplanes really comforting. I, I actually I love flying. I feel like yeah. no one ever says that. I'm yeah. a huge fan of flying. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like I get work done and there's not a lot yeah. demanded of me and people bring you stuff. That's exactly what it yeah. is. It's like you get to sit in yeah, one yeah. spot and people like bring you snacks yeah. and no one's expecting you to do anything besides yeah. just sit yeah. there. Like, And it's the best. And I like, like enclosed spaces yeah, so too. I. It's I like it's comfortable. Like, it's like it, the yeah. womb or something. It's like a thunder shirt. <laughs> yeah, like, right, weird, right. yeah, I know. It's like, and uh, there's only one thing that could go wrong, which is like you die. Yeah. Right? So that's like easy. Which is to like deal the same for everything like, else, yeah. right? There's yeah. one thing that can go wrong. You die. That's it. Exactly. There's no like halfway anything. Right. And then also it raises my blood pressure. And I don't know if people in your like, if you have, do you have low blood pressure? I actually do have low blood pressure. Yeah, I like, I've fainted a lot in my life. Same it's here. like a family issue. Yeah, totally. So you probably like it for that reason too, because being up in the oh, air that's raises your blood pressure. Thought of that. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. And so I usually feel like mentally well there. Um, yeah, I feel like focused or something yeah, a little bit. Air. Yeah. It's that air too that they yeah. like recycle. I like dry air. Like I love yeah. being in the desert. I feel like it's like good for my skin. Really? Like it's it's like my favorite kind of thing. So yeah. like the dryness doesn't even bother me. Yeah, and like same. I like AC too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I'm just like revealing myself as like a weirdo who loves air conditioning and like airplanes <laughs> and like being in small spaces. I feel really comforted by this because usually people don't get it. But yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So it's, I know it's like, I know some doctor was like, your red blood cell account is bad and nothing is worse for your red blood cells than flying. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I also smoked for like a million years and like, right. you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, that's another thing that you do talk about in the book is um, in addition to like being actually sick, you in the book, like, you talk about, you struggle with addiction and stuff like that, sort of, like, these outside methods of also making yourself more sick, and that's something that you, like, talk about outright in the book, um, and that's something that I definitely, like, have experience with, both, like, in my adult life, and also, like, you know, as a child, feeling like I want, like, my parents to be, like, special and pay attention to me, and, like, 
that being sick is something that gets you that, um, <laughs> you know, like, but just in general, in my life at least, the fact that I have sort of desired being sick before or sort of done things to make myself sick before leads me to almost mistrust myself when I'm feeling actual like physical symptoms and so you know I'll be like genuinely sick and I'll just be like I don't need to go to the doctor like I'm probably just faking it even though like I know I'm not like which is like a really weird thing and I wonder if that fact the fact that like at times you've desired being sick has ever made you feel somehow you know less legitimate in being sick or even made you ignore symptoms until you know it was too long to go to the doctor totally yeah I wonder I think about this a lot because I also think about like growing up in like LA too and where so much is so toxic like when tourists like love our sunsets and we're all like "Uh okay yeah they look like that for a bad reason um and, and and so like you know like and, and also, when people talk about L.A. health food culture, it's always weird to me because I, like, grew up, like, just eating, like, burgers and soda, and everyone I knew from L.A., like, ate like that. And that was, like, this other West... I mean, mm-hmm. also, like, we're talking East Side, and there's, like, right. a weird West Side culture, but that was, like, very foreign to me. And, I mean, truly, this is something that doctors hate, and I was just saying this to a friend today, like, I don't know, sometimes, like, the wellness stuff is actually really hard on my body. Like, I can't yeah. do, like water diet or like cleanses well, or stuff like that. I feel like, like a lot of it is not even like proven or like tested yeah. for safety. Like if oftentimes it is just like crap. Like yeah. sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's yeah. like, why are you like drinking all of that water filled with charcoal or whatever? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, no, I do like charcoal. But <laughs> I know I had to drink some of that stuff today, but it's like funny, like they, it doesn't necessarily make me feel better right. actually. And some of it's like, I was talking about this detox culture online the other day where I yeah. just feel like a lot of it's like a lot of like souped up anorexia. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, it's really bad right now. I've actually never seen it this bad where like, you know, there's that weird American productivity anxiety right now, which is like very Trumpism, but also like just people panicking. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's, like really dangerous. Like I'm seeing people recommend to people to just like not eat and work out all the time. They're like, it's biohacking. Yeah. No, that's how you die. Like it's not right. (laughs) And and that's the thing, like working out too much also triggers inflammation. Like people who like... It's like the way like sleeping too much is just as bad as not sleeping right. enough. Like, you know, we all have to like get to like some moderation, which is impossible for me too. But yeah, like, and it feels yeah. like like modern work more and more is demanding that you just completely ignore that moderation and you say, yeah. okay, I'm gonna never sleep again. And it's yeah. like yeah. that's not like if that was something that could be done, people would be doing it yeah. all the time. Like it's not like a yeah. real human thing that yeah. is possible. Um, yeah, I hate that stuff so much. Right. I that's feel why like it's we like biohacking, not medicine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean. I I feel like we should be like trying to slow down and be grounded right now when the world feels so unstable but instead there's like this mania and even the empowerment mm-hmm. rhetoric that's trying to correct a sort of depressing thing it feels really like steroidy yeah and it was like just be really happy guys we got this and it's like it's like you don't have to be yeah, really happy it's, it's all like fucked pretty, up yeah exactly <laughs> it's like really like grim actually and yeah. so it's like you can be any way you want and like that's the thing too that I always feel so sad about is like chronically ill people or or depressed people or where there's so much pressure put on them to be a certain way mm-hmm. you should just let people be however they want to be right yeah I mean that's like another thing that you touched on in the book that like I really loved was just the the fact that people who are sick who want to be publicly and like amongst their friends perceived as sick because that's what they are you know 
are meant to act in a certain way. You have to be like, I'm in pain, I'm whatever. I'm. There's a certain like way in which we think that sick people act. And if we think about, you know, times when we've been sick in our lives, like it's not all exactly the same. Yeah. And you know, there can be like moments of trying to go past your sickness and trying to be overly productive or just giving in and saying, okay, I need to rest right now. And you know, I something that I've struggled with a lot in my life is like taking a minute to rest you know I think that like like with people wanting to never sleep or eat and things like that it's like you are not in this society taking a rest is not good it means that you're lazy and it means that you're like not doing your job well and that's unhealthy and it's but it's hard because if you do take a rest for a moment then you know you're shunned by the society that thinks that like work equals value and I wonder how have you coped with that as a person who's having to deal with that constantly, not just in certain moments when, you know, you have a cold or whatever? Yeah, I'm so bad at that because I think it's also New York constantly rewarded me for being, like, overly productive. And so, like, even, like, today I could have, like, like actually, I mean, I don't really know how to take naps, but I need to learn. I, I, but I, I think it's a great thing. But I could have just, like, chilled out. But instead, I was, like, on my phone all day, like, making things happen. Mm. Although, like, I got these things, so I feel like now I have a way to, like, speaking of biohacking, I have these, like, blue blocks. Are they, like, color, color therapy glasses They're or like something? They're, like, block blue light or something. Oh, like, when you're I looking think, at the computer? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the Silicon Valley guys made this box. I don't know. But so then I was, like, oh, so great. I can, like, look at my phone, but, like, wear those. But then I was, like, why am I doing that? Like, I could just, like, eat something delicious and, and yeah. rest and, like, maybe meditate, which I've been ignoring for a while. But, if you know, sometimes when your mind is already messed up and racing, it's hard to meditate, you know, whatever. But, like, yeah, it's just bad that I, like, don't know how to shut it off. And all my doctors for years have just said, just, like, take a break. And it really took me having, like, severe brain damage in uh, 2012 when my inflammation markers were very high. They were, like... Mm four times as high as they were at their worst this year. Where and I, I moved to Santa Fe and I couldn't do anything. I was just like literally like it was impossible to read or write a sentence and so then I you know out of like and I was like living with some random guy who was like a fan of my work and who was just like no you're my girlfriend and I was like okay and and then I was like oh I'm just gonna like I, I didn't know what to do with my time so I would just go to the hair salon and say I want blowouts, but I wanted like Victoria's Secret style blowouts. <laughs> I just wanted to be this like weird, like bimbo sick person of my dreams. <laughs> and so I would like walk around Santa Fe. I still remember like with my hair blown out, giant, and I'd get like manicures. And I was always like skinny in that horrible sick person way. And I was like hobbling along and like, okay, you know, in some weird zone. And that was like to me rest. Right. You know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, it seems based on that and based on other parts of the book that, like, the your psychological state seems to fluctuate, you know, uh, in accordance with your physical state. Like, yeah. the sicker you get, the worse you are psychologically yeah. and vice versa. And I... I've felt that in my life, definitely. You know, when I get sick, I'm grumpy, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm crying. It's like a whole thing, you yeah. know? That's like a totally natural thing. But I do feel like that response to sickness is something that doctors look at and immediately take as, oh, you're not sick, you're just freaking out, especially yeah, yeah. for women and especially for non-white oh, yeah. women. It's, it's yeah, totally. And I, I wonder, have you ever, you know, taken it? Like, for example, I've 
taken my boyfriend with me into doctor's offices because it makes me seem more legitimate if there's like a white man sitting there saying oh she's yeah. actually sick. And I wonder if you've ever instituted any methods to try to really convince doctors that like, no, this this is real. Yeah, I mean, I've tried everything. I've like been upfront with them where I'm like, okay, so just let's get it out of the way. I have PTSD that manifests into OCD when I'm very ill, like very direct clinical OCD. And then I also have anxiety and depression. So that, but that like doesn't really work often when you tell doctors. They're like, oh, okay. Um, right, but from then on, every yeah, sickness is like, like, oh, you're just crazy. Yeah. Like, great. So it, and it's frustrating with a disease like Lyme because it actually does often manifest in psychiatric symptoms first, right. like like depression, anxiety, insomnia, because the spirochetes literally go for the soft tissue. Right. If they it causes inflammation like, in your brain, exactly. that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, but then I've done that thing too about like bringing, I, I've actually said online somewhere on Twitter or Facebook, I was like, can someone come with me to the doctor? Because I'm usually asking people to like help me with these things. And I've actually said like, honestly like if you're a certain type of white guy you'll be my type first choice because not even <laughs> yeah, just any white yeah. guy will do it's true like it's really preferably true. it's like a, a like the white guy yeah like in yeah. the <laughs> tweed blazer yeah. and maybe like a certain type of glasses and just like very clean cut you yeah. can't be scruffy you can't be eccentric they have speaking of like a booming voice mm-hmm. it's like whatever that like Aryan nation totally. Donald Trump thing totally. that, that that thing has got to be the person you bring with you yeah because you, and you'll watch this and you'll see people of color everyone will respond to them better it's, it's infuriating it yeah it's and, infuriating yeah and, I, and I've had to say like in hospitals like oh like that guy this this guy is yeah. saying that then you heard that but I was saying the same thing and they'll be like yeah I like know. I went from like doctors telling me like me being in like searing pain going into the doctor and the doctor saying mm, have you tried calming down literally a doctor <laughs> said that to me <laughs> and like then you know the second I bring in my boyfriend who like I had put on like you know a collared shirt and like look all professional or whatever they're like oh do you want like every opiate in existence and I'm like how, like well, how dare you totally it's a it's so a total bad. nightmare yeah. and for like chronic illness and especially for a chronic illness that's often like contested by people that seems like it is oh, yeah. probably 90% of the struggle I mean I can only imagine that yeah. puts your mental state in like a not good place that would probably make your physical Awful, state yeah. worse it's funny I noticed um, and I wonder like if, like even like having tattoos or whatever we should like present in some way that makes them comfortable I don't know what the I theater. cover my tattoos it's like you it's do. helped a little bit I wow. think yeah. yeah I wonder I should I thought about doing that yeah um, but it's like I, I saw in the notes this is not in the book but I should put it in there that, that I saw twice in the notes of doctors that it said um, identifies as a feminist <laughs> I'm fascinated by that because I'm like what does that mean to them does that mean that they only can send women doctors to me or does it mean that I'm it's like a DSM like yeah. code like she's a feminist yeah. so she's probably crazy in yeah, other ways yeah, exactly like, <laughs> and it's like yeah, it's so weird that that even came up and yeah. why they wrote it, but it's like, it, you know, medicine is all about profiling, like, many worlds, and and certainly in ERs, you have to make very snap judgments just, like, based on you yeah. and what you say, and I've learned now all the things you should say and shouldn't say, and I've had to, like, like, like work in a theater with them, too. Like, yeah. we're all playing a game. Like, yeah. I'm not, I have to be like... So if you go in, like, knowing what's wrong and knowing what you need, then it's probably incredibly frustrating to talk to doctors who don't know what's wrong yeah, and don't yeah. know what you need and think that they do know better right. than you. Like, I go there and I usually say with, like, Lyme, like, I'm like, can I just get some, like, fluids and oxygen? Like, I know that'll help stabilize me. Right. And they have such weird responses to that. Because apparently, like, 
right. I guess some people get high with oxygen only or right. like and fluids I don't know like right it's not like you're going in there and yeah. being like just give me oxycontin that's all I need yeah, and I'll yeah, be yeah. right out of here like that's like not the yeah. same thing and in fact what throws them really off is that I often say I don't want any benzos please because sometimes they'll put it in your um, fluid bag without you knowing it if they think Whoa. you're like hyperventilating and stuff they'll just like pop some Ativan in there I had an ER doctor tell me that that's crazy yeah and I'm like I have to be like I'm allergic to benzos, which a doctor finally said to me once in the ER, you know that's not really possible, right? (laughs) And I said, yeah, I know. He said, oh, you're an addict, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, don't worry, we'll make sure. And this is a great doctor. I, I was so grateful wow. that he said that. That's crazy that they yeah. do that. I had no idea. Because I know I'd feel better. Like, right. obviously, yeah. like, like it, that's why I like those drugs. They made me feel good, you know? But I don't want to get in that loop. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, that's so... Generally speaking, I've been doing a little bit of research about Lyme since reading your book, and it seems like uh, Lyme is something that's like even more highly contested than something like, say, lupus, which seems to be like a generally accepted like this is yeah. real. And it why it seems like based on like reading your book that like you've gotten plenty of tests that have told you like yes you do have Lyme and like this yeah. is like a re- and you have symptoms that show it so why do you think it is that it's so much more contested than these other illnesses that also don't have a blood test yeah because it's like there's you know only 10% of cases like have CDC recognition like I can just go and and I often do this well I'll say it. I have a CDC case bans 2341 you know and sometimes they'll act like they know what that is because like doctors don't even <laughs> always know like what the bands mean or anything it's pretty esoteric and it's like you have to be like what so what exactly is a, a band? So you have to have several of these it's like your own like it's like your barcode in a weird oh, way okay. the disease in a sense and so it shows up like when they run your um oh so it basically sorry. says like this case actually is legitimate yeah, even it, if it, no other cases well, are basically you have the disease and you have co-infection right and so when they test for that you basically there's a way they can test your bands I don't even okay. remember how it goes anymore okay. I used to be obsessed with that but you know you, everyone has kind of like a unique profile and so you know you might meet some Lyme people at the similar bands and titers as you but it's pretty unique mm-hmm. and it also manifests itself uniquely I think that's what frustrates doctors because everyone's okay. case is a little different I mean you might have like some classical things joint pain facial palsy um, right. flu-like symptoms you know anxiety but those could be a lot of things and right. I think and the overlap also, is not enough for them to make yeah. like a profile right and they usually like actually I'm sure autoimmune was like this at some point too but they like to run autoimmune tests because they think that's more likely and it, there often is a real overlap so it just like depends on getting to the right doctor I mean I still am getting like you know like healthcare professionals trolling me on Twitter when I talk about like Lyme and I'm like okay like right because I mean it seems as though like if you have an I mean I'm no doctor but if you have an autoimmune disease you're probably more susceptible to like the worst parts of Lyme disease yeah, right sure sure yeah, yeah it makes sense that would go hand in hand right it's and and there's like a theory I talked to some doctor recently that like maybe like almost everyone has Lyme and you know tick-borne illness they, they think MS and ALS might be Lyme now and but not everyone is going to get all messed up like I did or certain people or mm-hmm. or I'm less messed up than someone else who's at home right now you know at my age and same profile it just there's a series of things like mm-hmm. 
PTSD is a trigger, like um, traumatic events are a trigger, environmental toxins are a trigger. Molds. All sorts, yeah. yeah. So all these things, like, like it, it takes something for it to come out mm -hmm. again. And when your immune system is working really well, it is actually possible to not show a ton of symptoms. Germany's black forest population, they think 100%. Everyone they test in Germany's black forest population tests positive for Lyme. Hmm. But they don't get messed up like we right. do. And I've heard doctors say all sorts of things like maybe it's they, they're exposed to less EMFs. Mm. Most of their food is just more organic. They're like, you know. Right. But it's like there's so many things. It could be yeah. a large variety, yeah. which I guess brings me to what I believe might be my last question, mm. um, which is that because Lyme does manifest so differently in so many different cases, I wonder for you, what does it look like when you say, you sit down and you say, okay, I'm having a really bad Lyme day. What are the symptoms that you experience mm. during that time? Oh yeah, today we had some of that. Um, you know, just like dizzy, um, sometimes depersonalization, sometimes panic and anxiety. Um, for me, the worst stuff is the dysphagia. I hate mm -hmm. the swallowing problems, which come and go. That, really make, that makes it hard to swallow? Is that what that means? Yeah, mm -hmm. and we don't know if it's really like lymphatic congestion, inflammation, or like like acid reflux, which mm -hmm. is, I don't... And then it's like, is it low stomach acid or high stomach acid? Like... And I've done endoscopies, and I might have to do it again. So I, ha I hate that one so much. Because um, I've lived with the joint pain for ages, and I'm that I can handle. I, I, I really hate neuropathy. The burning mm -hmm. stuff is really What scary. is neuropathy? It's like nerve. Um, oh, like nerve pain? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have paresthesia is the one that, right. that manifests in burning. And then um, dizziness. Um, insomnia is probably the worst yeah. of all. It's something most Lyme people have mm -hmm. in common. And what are, what are the symptoms that you would say you experience just on a daily basis, even when you're not having a bad Lyme day? If I'm like in remission and there's nothing really wrong, you know, I would just, I just feel like maybe I have headaches right. or like some, I just feel like I, I pretty much, I feel like I have like a cold almost all the time when I'm well, but, yeah. um, that, yeah, that comparison puts it into perspective yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like just a mild cold, yeah. like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But the other things are really spooky. I mean, like just like a couple of weeks ago, I lost like 10 pounds in a week. Wow. Why and why was that? Do you think? Do you I don't know? know. It was so Oof. weird. It can make you like waste in this weird way. Just the way it, like eats like the air in your body and robs you of oxygen, which is why I often have my oxygen concentrator. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and then it's just like wastes away. There's theories. I mean, you also have like all sorts of digestive troubles, but. Um, you know, also you're often, the treatment for Lyme in itself is so violent often, you know? Right. You really go into Lyme treatment that I did last month, it's like, you're going to feel all that pain and worse. Like, Wait, what are like the most Herx, common treatments? Yeah, Herx symptoms are so gory. Like, I was at a dinner with Rebecca Solnit in San Francisco, like, a few weeks ago. We were sitting there and I was just like... Like, just, like, shaking. It was, like, the third time I met her, and I was... She, she knew what was happening, but I was, like, trying to eat a bite of food, and I, like, almost throw it up, and we're at a really nice restaurant. What was the shaking from? Because I would... I did all this IV ozone that oh. day, and sometimes you have, like, die-off reactions. I had really, really bad die-off, and I was just, like, sort of, like... Oh, that was one of the only times I'd been in public when I've been having herxes. So you, like, twitch? Is that, like, a... Twitching, like, sweating, oh. like, twisty, turny, horrifying sensations. Usually I'm just in bed with oxygen, sweating it out, which could take a few hours wow. to sometimes, like, a few days. And so it's a it's an IV of what, exactly? Well, I do all sorts of IV stuff. Right. I do IV, like, ozone, which has been really helpful for me. I do nutrient IVs of all sorts, oh. and... Um, 
Yeah, I've done IV antibiotics. Oh, so IVs are like practically an everyday thing for yeah, you. Yeah, for me, like, um, like, like hospitals are always fascinated because they think I'm anxious, but they think I'm like anxious about needles. But it's like the last thing that I'm anxious about. Like, right. also with Lyme, like I don't often feel a needle. Like they can put a giant needle in me, and I'm just like, is that because you have like a lack of of nerve? A little bit sensing? of that, and I think I'm so used to um, my veins being used in that way. So I just am not really scared of it. Crazy. Um, yeah, I do a lot of IV stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of bee venom therapy, which uh, you know. Like what is that? Li- like bees? Live like, bee stings, yeah. Wow. My my people. Wait, so do. that was was that? Sorry, was that a live bees literally stinging you, or was it like a? Uh, so my person literally puts them on like a um, like tweezers. These are honeybees at the end of their life, um, and they're raised on in her farm, and um, she just puts it right up to your forehead and wow. your limbs and head and all sorts of things. And boy, did that 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 is for me was one of the most effective treatments. But what again, is the so effect that it has? Like, what does it do? Clears your brain fog better than almost anything in my opinion because brain fog is also a huge problem and especially when you can't really drink coffee because I become caffeine sensitive when I have Lyme relapses that's rough yeah so um, how I would survive it's yeah I I haven't drank like any I haven't had caffeine in many many months and so the bee venom therapy sort of helps it also kind of gives you like a little bit more of an endorphin rush and I guess there's like people like in the UK that like I guess Kate Middleton gets it for facials like wow make you glowy I don't know but it, <laughs> doesn't it doesn't it swell though is that like unless, or does well, it, if you're allergic right the weird thing is also with bee venom therapy a lot of people do it and they're they like would have been otherwise allergic but somehow they it doesn't show up oh. as an allergy it's bizarre I don't know like it's, allergy shots maybe where they get used to it incrementally maybe, yeah huh? uh, but also you can like there's that one case of someone who died in Spain who did it for years and then suddenly became allergic so right. if you don't have a professional do it I mean there's all sorts of back alley places like everywhere in LA where people are like giving each other bee stings like crack open a beehive just to go nuts and I think like that's a bad idea just like the people who do ozone in their like basements for their random friends like I I go to medical that's how I am though I like medical professionals that's how how everyone should be don't let bees sting you for no good reason yeah but the the, like the lime and people get desperate you know it's really expensive to have doctors do it so no it makes sense I mean it's just like sad that people have to ever do that that's like horrifying oh my god yeah I've I met a guy who was like an ER once from just like um, giving himself like constant um, peroxide IVs, which can be helpful, but he wasn't, he was like just basically pouring peroxide into some not like diluting it yeah he just didn't know what he was doing and he was just like you know it's crazy so you have to be a little careful and (laughs) you don't want to yeah it's it's a mess it's hard but hopefully you know these things have logic to them and hopefully we'll live in a world like like even in germany these things are very mainstream and people yeah do get treated properly yeah i mean over the ages there's been many many diseases that people just thought were like your uterus moving up and down your body or like whatever and ended up being like real things that we can treat and cure Uh, yeah hopefully hopefully we can i mean healthcare is so screwed up but it's a mess um well on that did you want to take some yeah does anybody have questions from the audience we could take yeah Yeah. yes yes it did it actually you know it's funny medical i mean i do cbd still because like a year ago i took too much and 
I had that very bad trip that you can have with yeah. edibles. <laughs> so it scared me a little bit. I, I couldn't bring my heart rate down. It was a horrible ER episode. This is in the book. But, um, <laughs> but the, the medical marijuana, I was in it for like over a year. And I think the biggest benefit, for me, it doesn't necessarily like calm me or help me with sleep, but it brings down inflammation really, really well. Yeah, CBD so, especially. Yeah, I think cannabis is like a really important... Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I've tried some just uh, before I came here. Wow. website that you want to or well, or yeah yeah totally awesome. no I think this is really great and my I mean my doctors some of them are the most like very straight nerdy like da -da -da, you know tweet guys but they they all are like you know what it really helps yeah. It, they, they all anyone who tells you today that it doesn't help they're liars yeah there's like ample yeah. medical like yeah there's in fact a drug just passed through the FDA that's a CBD um, epilepsy medication that's more effective than any epilepsy medication wow. on the market um, mm -hmm. exactly yeah, yeah exactly and it like just passed through the FDA no, I love that. You know, sometimes like people like promote a thing, and you're like, oh no, but this is like really good, yeah, really it is important, genuinely like, good. This is like, he's, this is a friend, and we need yeah. these people. I know that's uh, hard to follow, but yeah. does anybody else have a question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know when I feel really healthy, and it's a little bit of a problem actually? It's actually like when I'm really in love. And, but, yeah, but that's dangerous because the mm -hmm. thing is when I'm really healthy, then I'm like, I'm going to eat five pizzas and like drink all the yeah. beer in the world and stay up all night. And, and being know, in love makes you yeah, do that too. And then we're going to go to a yeah. sex club and then, we're, you know, I just, I just go crazy <laughs> like that. And then, and then I crash. So it's yeah. almost. So in this book, there's a lot of bad relationships here. Yeah. And a friend of mine was just like, oh, it's so tragic. You've only had bad relationships. And I was like, no, no, I wrote. I wrote about the ones that were relevant. Yeah, so the good ones weren't yeah. as interesting. <laughs> yeah, they were just like lovely. But yeah, no, those like being in a supportive, loving relationship. I'm not in one right now, which is like sort of sad. I hate the feeling of being alone when you're sick. But when you're with, like that feeling can be like the greatest thing, having someone who supports you and loves you. And I do feel very healthy then. Um, yeah. 
it's funny. I actually thought to myself this year that I, I had two goals: is to actually date other people that are sick. I want someone who also is sick like me in some ways, and to not wait to be well. Want to meet someone because what's happened to me for years is people will meet me when I'm like better. And then I'll be like, just so you know, I often get really sick, and they'll be like, nah, that's not true. And then, and then I get sick, and then they're out. Even the best people I've ever dated, you know, someone I love very much, even this winter, when I started going to hospitals and having really eerie symptoms, you couldn't handle that stress. So that is really hard. So I actually want to meet someone when I'm like all screwed up, and like, you know, I actually think that is, is a great thing. And I think we should stop telling people to like, only like fall in love with someone when they're on the up, you know. Like, so that's something. Yeah, I've thought about a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. About like female rage and all that. I mean, I don't. I've, I've differed at different times on this topic, I guess. Like, I, for instance, I've always been like a big activist, and I really was in the last, like, several years, especially. And I've taken a break a little bit from it because I started having too many suicidal students and too many suicidal friends. And I, I lost a lot of people, or several people, to suicide in the last few years. So I'm not into the rage thing. I'm much more into the empathy thing. I'm actually into having no assumptions. Like, I don't know. Someone who comes up to me, I'm not going to assume anything about your gender, your sexuality, where you come from. Like, I have no idea. Uh, people, because people can see all sorts of things when they see me. They don't know if I'm Iranian or whatever. So my thing now, and and I've always been like kind of like a like a feminist and a tough, you know, activist. But I've I've stepped back a little bit, only because I think we're at a little bit of a danger point right now in in our culture in this country. And I think listening and empathy and kindness, even though the other like empowerment stuff feels like exciting. Like we can go back to that when people aren't dying so much. I'm like really interested in preserving like lives of people, and I don't think like keep pushing and pushing and pushing people to constantly like experience that rage is a good thing. And I think like I, I mean I stopped tweeting about a lot of like things that are bothering me right now in the news, and I'm just trying to share like some happy things. Whereas I used to get mad when people did that. I was like, no. Yeah, she's she's lovely, and she's you know had it's it's really hard to be author and book tour. It's hard to be like anyone right now, <laughs> you know. But but it is it's just like I, I yeah I have like a slightly different mo right now than some of my good friends even where I'm like whoa like it's it's a little rocky right now, and maybe it's just because of who I've run into, and, and too many people have really severe depression right now, and we gotta just like lift them whatever it takes. We gotta survive this. And, and also, I, I mean, I grew up in, where I was raised in a really messed up country. In Iran, we, you know, 
it's it's fought there. It's been fought for a long time, and so people in Iran know that like they still celebrate. They still have parties, even when the government like has taken every right from them and has like killed their relatives. And you know, the only prisons that I think are worse than American prisons are probably China and Iran. You know, or maybe on par. But people still find ways to like love each other and and find joy and do their best. And I think we're like kind of in that zone where we have to take care of each other, because you know I warned you all this is going to be ugly genocidal autocracy. I said it years ago. I was like, don't vote for this guy. I know Hillary Clinton, but just don't vote for this guy. Like I was like, just whatever it takes, don't vote for this guy, because I knew all the things that are happening now. I, I could have, you know, I, I knew this guy was a white supremacist, so it's like, but, so now we're in it, now we have to just ride it through, and we have to, like, love each other, and, like, hold each other, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, I mean, it's like, we have to, and, but I know, like, I know with what's going on in Iran, and has for, like, people will still live, you know, and, like, Americans haven't had a crisis like this, really, I mean, maybe to some degree at times, but this is bad, and so I just feel like my priority is like, like just trying to keep people together. Because I don't know, I, I broke the chair during that like beautiful statement that you were just making. So <laughs> sorry, Skylight. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. It's falling off. <laughs> Um, one thing I often say is um, don't listen to too much writing advice because mm, I find so writing true. advice so bad yeah. and it's like it's like I cringe when I read this stuff by like published writers how to be a novelist yeah, show don't tell like, yeah show don't tell is like the, the fuck this, does like, that mean? this book is like so much tell and I think like everyone likes to it's tell they're fucking like, words you yeah, have to tell it's yeah. like the whole thing show don't tell is so stupid. so stupid yeah I hate that one or like write what you know which like really great writers have told yeah. me which is also like actually could be very classic and like racist like boring and boring yeah. yeah just like write your little corner whatever that was yeah. um I hate writing advice so I just think like what separates people like I had very little I mean I went to an, I was a scholarship kid undergrad Sarah Lawrence and I had workshops there but then like I only did one year of grad school like Johns Hopkins's writing program was a one-year MA and it was like it was, like, already too much. We all nearly died, like, through that year. It was so awful. But, like, I actually kind of liked that I didn't do too many of those established routes. I didn't do too much of, like, bread loaves and blah, blah, You know, I I just, like, stayed away a little bit because I also felt like the workshop pieces that often got praised were so formulaic yeah. and so boring. So I'd rather, like, I judge contests all the time. Like, I really like risky things. I like things that, like, I can tell this person just did their own thing yeah. and it was, like, weird and wild and cool. Yeah, just, like, yeah. write what makes you feel, like, less alone in the world yeah. and that's going to be what people respond to. Yeah, because you can tell that. So it's, like, you know, and then I also don't think you have to write every day. I've never written every day. Yeah. Do you write every day? No, that's huh. crazy. I that's think that's <laughs> like, I don't even know who. Insane. But it's like very, like, a very privileged yeah. I feel thing. like only Roxane Gay does that and nobody else. <laughs> I, I think Roxanne doesn't even do it. Yeah, I, you're I, right. I, she probably yeah. does take days off. I yeah. think she takes days off. It's I actually, a myth. I know some, I mean, the, honestly, the people that I know that write every day the most are like 
like not published writers. Yeah. And they have so many bad days of writing and then they hate their work. Right. It's like, just take a break from writing yeah, if like, you're not doing like, well. Just like, yeah, yeah there's like, a whole world out there. Yeah, it's really, I couldn't do it if it was like write every day. I wouldn't, I do think like reading every day is nice if you can. Like, and these are such like luxury industry advice. Like, like who has the time every yeah. day to write like 5,000 words? Like we do it occasionally when we go to a writing residency, maybe. But like, yeah, it's books on tape. That's my recommendation. Oh, you can I just listen to them when you're commuting to work in whatever fashion that you commute. Yeah, I and it's like that. reading, but you're not actually reading a book. That's right. that's my writing advice. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. I think a lot of my friends do that. I gotta get on that. Yeah, it's fun. It's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to read right now. Like, I'm not gonna read and write when I'm like feeling sick. Yeah, and I think that's just like demoralizing. So it's demoralizing to write when you feel like you can't write or don't want to write, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's, it's, if you like writing and you want to write, then you're a writer and you yeah. should do that. But you know, there's no reason to like yeah. force it when it's not coming. I feel like that's bad advice. Yeah. yeah. And I did see some good advice recently too, about like do other things, like have other hobbies, um, which I often didn't. And that was bad. Yeah. And, and, but it's like good to have other things that you love Definitely. To yeah. Like knit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god, I love you. It was terrible. I mean, I have, like, these, like, little hours. I have to tar figure out what hours I'm good in. Like, basically from when I wake up to, like, mid-afternoon, I'm in a state of horror and pain and bad. I mean, my first half of my day is always bad, which is usually, maybe it's for a lot of people, but they just drink coffee or something. <laughs> but it's not good. Um, and then, like, unfortunately, like, the evening and night I'm better, but then I have to go to bed at a good hour. So, you know, I have, like, very, like, few hours that I can write in, and so I try to a little bit, but I don't force myself, um, you know, and it's really hard to balance right now. I miss writing, you know. I, I have, like, contracts for two more books, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, but, you know, I'm going to get better. That's what I'm going to do. But it's, it's, it's really hard, but I just think, like, just don't pressure yourself. I just think like the thing that I, like a general feeling I have is in American culture, we just pressure everyone all the time too much. Yeah. We keep setting the bar higher. We need to like yeah. lower it and then leave it there yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Let's just like be like cats. Yeah. Or like yeah. dogs. Be like, like just cats. Like, yeah. Just like yeah. be in the sun and eat and rest a little bit. Yeah. As much as you can at least. As much as you can. Yeah. Exactly. Like without like, you know, being bankrupt, but like, yeah. you know. That's the hard part, right? Yeah. That's the... <laughs> If only we could, like, commodify rest. Why don't we tell Silicon Valley to do that for us, you know? Like, Disrupt the napping industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you have, yeah. I was just curious how you kind of knew what you were I didn't know I was ready to write this book. I mean, it was, like, people that... It was, like, illness communities who asked me to write this book because I was just, like, always... Like, I still, like constantly talk on social media about it and I often like ask for help or advice like I'm actually someone who likes advice but like no medical advice <laughs> no I want your medical advice please um 
So I just was doing that a lot out of like sheer loneliness and desperation and people were like, well, you have this gift, you've written, written about these other things, why don't you write this? But I'd written like, I was a journalist for years and then I was an essayist, but I didn't think I could write a full-length memoir. And it, honestly, it was so hard and I hope to never do it again. Because <laughs> um, it's like, um, it's, it's grueling and it's painful and you have to be so, and I'm like obsessed with honesty, so then I like, had to be really honest and like face, like I don't think I'd come across well here. There's some review I read, you know, skimmed. I can barely even read the reviews. I used to always read reviews, and now I'm like, oh, I don't want to see it. But someone was like, I just wanted to tell this girl to chill the fuck out or something, you know? And I agree. Like, I wanted to tell me to chill the fuck out, and I want to tell myself that some days, too. Like, but you have to be really honest about yourself and everyone around you, and it's, like, it's brutal. You need, like, a lot of therapy and love and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. I, I, I don't think, I don't know if I was ready, you know? Yeah. So it's tough, yeah. yeah. Honest. Yeah. So kind of building off of that, how do you like balance writing and you know having empathy for the world and taking care of yourself? I think that's something I struggle with. Taking care of myself is the hardest one because I'm really good at taking care of other people, or I have been, and I always like like put other people before me and so some of the way I work in therapy and stuff has been like take care of yourself or a friend just told me today like no put yourself first and I'll always be like how does like I always want the like what's the team thing or like what is the best for best for as many people as possible so I, I have a really hard time with that um, so it's really really tough but like I had to like leave like a couple teaching gigs this semester and it was something I never wanted to do but I was just like it's like actually unethical. I'm like falling apart, and so, so I'm trying to learn that. I I just, but it's like you have to tell yourself it's not selfish to preserve yourself. <clears throat> not selfish, and it's not lazy either yeah. to like take a minute to take care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's hard to learn that it's like mm -hmm. important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, like, now there's a whole thing where I think doctors are trying to be, like, corrective. So they're like, well, how do you feel? How did this thing, like, what What do you think about And most of the time I'm like, I don't know how I feel. Like, you put me on all these weird drugs and, like, okay, I'm trying this weird diet. I always feel bad. So I don't know which thing is the thing that's making me feel the worst. And, like, what do I prioritize? Well, I can sleep, but then now I can't, like, like run. I can't, you know. There's always some give or take. So it's, like, yeah, and then it makes you feel like, yeah, you're, like, self-gaslighting and all that. And you're doubting yourself. I mean, I, I, even today, I mean, my family, some of them are great, but, like, my father's really bad. I had a really negative conversation with my father today where he was just, like, Ugh, the mold thing. Yeah, that's probably what Howard Hughes would have been up to at the end of his life. Mm -hmm. And like, and I was like, I actually have tests that literally say it's mold. Like, it's like very clear. Yeah, and so I was just like, ugh. But that like demoralized me so much. And I know the reason it did is because a part of me is like, wait, was maybe it wasn't the mold. Wait, maybe it was just like a breakup, yeah. or like, oh, maybe it was just Donald Trump. <laughs> but 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 it was the mold. It is Lyme. Like so, I constantly do this thing too, which is why I do think like even though um, 
I used to be defensive about the psychology stuff or the now I'm like 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 I finally got a therapist this year I hadn't had one in years I used to have one but you know it's hard I don't have like my health insurance is all over the place and and I made a priority to get therapy and and but like a lot of my therapists kept leaving the practice so it was a mess but anyways yeah I think that's useful um but because you need to have other people tell you and you need to have people around that see you like I constantly ask my friends obsessively am, am I doing better you know and and like they're honest you know and like or like no but you thankfully now they're like yes like like two months ago I was almost catatonic so I couldn't have done this you can if you invest some money in these expensive therapies I do plus medical marijuana um you will see results, you know, but you have to take risks, and so, and I don't, I don't think I'll ever be cured, but I just want to be stable, that's what I always say, I just want to be stabilized. I think we can do one more question. Anybody? Well, I've given up now. I don't have any possessions, really, so I'm away from everything, and I'm probably allergic to everything, so I don't wear any makeup. Um, I barely wash my face. I only have a few items of clothes that I can wear, and they're like like Firma Energy Wear that has, like, I don't know, like compressions. I'm trying to always get my blood pressure up and things like that. Um, so I don't have a good ritual right now. And, um, but I, I do try to, like, like certain things are important to me, like, because it is a weird thing in the book, like, the more I would look like a thin, ailing white woman, the more, like, I was accepted as a sick person. But, like, people would keep telling me right now that, like, oh, you look fine, you know, and I'm like, I feel really skinny, like, I feel like you should be telling me I should gain weight. I, this is not okay. And, but people will be like, no, that's fine. But that's because they don't know, like, you know, like an Iranian woman or whatever, like my background, we're curvy and we have like, like I weighed 40 pounds more like this past summer. And that's like where I was happy. And I think that was BMI overweight, by the way. I don't know. So, um, but like, I, yeah, it's really messed up the way that people see sick people. Um, you know, I never look sick enough sometimes to get taken seriously. And so I don't know what it's going to take. Like, you know, every hair falling out and bleeding in front of, you know, everyone just be like, I'm dying, help, you know. But yeah, it's... It's a whole thing. I mean, I kind of took out some of those references I had in the book to, like, even some of, like, Sontag's discussions about, like, the tubercular patients and how they looked appealing to each other and things like that. Because I didn't want to glamorize it too much either. Um, but it is, like, it is something interesting to think about how we present. I mean, I, I do take lots of photos, and they're actually useful because a lot of my inflammation is often in my face. Um, and so I can, and I have electrolyte imbalances, so I can see when I'm puffy or not, or, and I never know if I'm dehydrated or overhydrated, which just happened to me in the ER the other day. 
You overhydrated? I overhydrated. I had like that weird thing, like hypnotrema or whatever it's called. Is that what it's called? I don't know. It's I, like, I didn't even know that was a thing, honestly. It's like worse than like being dehydrated. Like now my thing is that it's like good to be dehydrated because you wow. don't want to be. But I was drinking like five liters of water a day and I thought that was like really good. And I was thirsty all the time. Huh. Yeah, it's all about a, a middle ground, huh? I guess so. It's <laughs> so hard to like figure I felt as tripped out and weird as I normally do. Yeah, I felt like, you know, but I, I felt like, I don't know, it was, I knew something was wrong. I had like really bad um, heart racing that day and, and then my blood pressure suddenly skyrocketed and I have dysautonomia, so that stuff happens sometimes, but something was like especially wrong. So I was supposed to do, a, I had a, like a, a town car was supposed to take me in New York City to WNYC to do an interview and I had, I took, had the town car take me to the ER <laughs> and I did the interview on a stretcher from the <laughs> ER, so... Which they loved. They were like, wow, sick. Like, it's happening. It's like the real thing. It's like, here we are. It's real, you know? This is not how I envisioned it would go. It's not, you know. So, and and I've already canceled some things. And I actually don't know if I'm going to be able to complete this ambitious tour that HarperCollins has me on and yet is not paying for, by the way. So, I just want to put that out there that publishing can... Yeah, if you want to be a writer, maybe rethink it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> something that pays better. Yeah. Just oh kidding. We God. need more writers, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need more writers, and we need the industry just to pay us better. Yeah, that's, that's also true. like a lot of why, like, so many writers. Someone asked me to reading the other day, why are, are there so many um, chronically ill writers? And I was like, really? Like, yeah, that's we don't have health insurance often. Yeah. We, you know, have pretty hard lives, and yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah it's. We go to residencies where there's mold and and there's ticks everywhere and 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 we don't eat and we drink and smoke and yeah. drink coffee and it's like that. yeah not a historically super yeah. healthy lifestyle not to be a writer healthy. yeah and we're sedentary yeah that's yeah right. yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely sedentary <laughs> same often though. all right well I, I think our time is up yeah. thank, thank you thank, thank you thank you to Skylight. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.